we are not talking about a single revolt. We are talking about something which is more complex. Negatively speaking, they know that they don't want the clerical establishment. Positively speaking, they don't know exactly what they want. Who's going to uh, gain some advantage as a result of these protests? The moderates or the hardliners? They both seem targeted. This is Deep Dish on Global Affairs, going beyond the headlines on critical global issues. I'm Stephen Anderson, filling in for Brian Hansen, and today we're discussing the protests in Iran. This is an ongoing development. Information may change rapidly as the event progresses, and initial news reports may prove unreliable. To help us understand what's happening, I'm joined by Nicola Pede, director of the Rome-Italy-based Institute for Global Studies and an expert on Iran who frequently travels to the region. Buongiorno, Nicola. Hi, hello. Good morning. Saeed Golkar is joining us as well. Saeed is a non-resident fellow for Iran policy at the Chicago Council on Global Affairs and an associate professor at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. Welcome back to Deep Dish, Saeed. Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, on December 28th, many Iranians, angry over rising food prices and inflation, reportedly began to protest the economic policies of the government of Iran. However, as protests spread throughout the country, their scope appears to have expanded to include political opposition to the theocratic regime itself, with some calling for Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei to step down and others chanting, people are paupers while the mullahs live like gods. President Donald Trump weighed in to support the protesters, tweeting that the good people of Iran want change and warning the Iranian government against cracking down on its citizens. Vice President Mike Pence doubled down on the president's statement in a January 4 Washington Post piece, stating that the president will not abandon the Iranian protesters the way former President Obama did in 2009. In turn, Iran's Ayatollah Khamenei blamed foreign influence, saying enemies of Iran use different tools, including cash, weapons, politics, and intelligence services to create troubles in the Islamic Republic. By January 3rd, the head of the powerful Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps announced the end of what he called, quote, the sedition, and pro-establishment rallies were held in several cities. His announcement was widely seen as a warning in the country, though protests were ongoing. We are recording this the morning of January 4th. Most recent reports indicate the protests are receding and the Iranian ambassador to the UN has formally complained that U.S. interference in Iranian domestic affairs has, quote, crossed every limit. Nicole, I'd like to uh, start with you. Maybe you could tell me how these protests got started and why they started. Well, uh, the feeling is that we are not talking of a single protest, but uh, by uh, a, a summary of protests. So different groups of people with different grievances, which uh, have basically joined in, uh, in what it then became a larger protest in Tehran. It started in, uh, in, in, uh, in the more peripheral areas of the country, and uh, it's... Uh, uh, well, there the are uh, concrete suspects that most of these initial events are linked uh, to groups which, uh, in a way or the other, uh, could be connected with ultra-radical forces, and especially with groups which are connected with former President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, uh, who is under, uh, not exactly investigations, but uh, uh, who is under pressure from uh, the Ministry of Justice, because uh, uh, is, uh, most of his most prominent uh, uh, advisors have been involved in a major scandal in 2011. So uh, 
on the other side, there are several other different groups, smaller groups like those who suffered the, the recent earthquake and uh, which are complaining with the government because of what happened uh, in the region or those who have been uh, dropped by, by, by the failure of uh, three financial institutions in Tehran, which are furious because uh, they, 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 they haven't received any form of uh, protection from the government. So there are several other issues which enter the scenes, uh, and especially the, the, the which was brought to Tehran in, uh, in the, the first days of the new year. And uh, in a combination of protests, uh, which, uh, frankly speaking, seems to be uh, without any political or um, ideological leadership, uh, without any form of concrete leadership, and uh, which seems to be quite weak in the way it has been organized and managed on the street. So uh, from this point of view, I think it could be certainly described as something different from what happened in 2009 and different from many other events that we have seen in the recent past in Iran. Thank you, Nicola. Said, uh, Nicola gave us several different reasons why the protests uh, got started. Uh, I'd like to hear your view of uh, how you think it got started and, and perhaps why it expanded the way it did. Uh, actually, I agree with Nicola in many, many uh, ways. You know, uh, there are several uh, explanations how this round of mass uh, uprising started, especially in Mashhad, in a very religious, the second big city in Iran that is a hardcore of hardliners. Uh, you know, but I think that is not very important. What was the trigger of this protest? The protest started initially, as Nicole said, because of the economic grievances, you know, the high price, the inflation, the unemployment, but immediately became more political. You know, the slogan in one hour changed from death to inflation, death to high prices, death to uh, President Rouhani, and then it changed the death to the dictator, referring to the Iran you know, supreme leader. That's the first point. The second point is the uh, spread out of this round of the uprising compared to the 2009 is very interesting. 2009 was a mass uprising started in Tehran and big cities, and they tried to develop it, they tried to break out to the small cities. This round of the protest started mainly in a small cities. And, you know, there are many grievances economically, socially, politically, and all are intervened to each other. Uh, compared to the 2009, as Nicole said, this round of the protest for more than seven days, they, they are actually suffering from the lack of leadership, lack of exact or cohesive ideology. They know what they don't want. You know, if you study all of the slogans in a street in south of Iran, in Bandar Abbas, in west of Iran, in north, east of Iran, all of the slogans are uh, talking about death to the dictator and asking for Ayatollah Khamenei to step down. As for some of the slogans talking about, you know, the, the, the monarchy, the Pahlavi monarchy, to return to Iran. Some of them are talking about the Iranian Republic. So 
negatively speaking, they know that they don't want the clerical establishment. Positively speaking, they don't know exactly what they want. They want, uh, you know, a uh, uh, republic or they want a monarchy regime. And it's because of this, you know, diverse background of the people who are participating in this uh, round of the uprising. Another difference between this round and 2009 is there is no leadership. In 2009, we have Mir Hossein Musavi and Mahdi Kharabi, who are still after seven years or under the house arrest. This round, they don't have any clear leaders. So in different streets, they have the small leadership among of the youth. Another uh, difference that I have to uh, actually uh, mention is I think uh, the 2009, we had a reformist party uh, who supported the uprising, and because of the leadership and the structure, they had a better uh, form of, you know, the, uh, organizing the demonstration in, in big cities. Because right now, in 2017, for this new round of the uprising, the reformists. Uh, are united with the hardliner, both are denouncing the uprising, they don't have this structural organization. Uh, that makes it very difficult for many, you know, observers to predict that this round of the uprising will continue. So the two of you have presented uh, a very complex picture of, uh, of something that I think has uh, been depicted relatively simply in most of our press. Uh, the <clears throat> Perhaps the most interesting uh, point to me up front is uh, that, uh, the, that Nicola mentioned that it might have been uh, right-wing uh, hardliners who instigated the protests against Rouhani, uh, presumably in order to uh, weaken him. Can, uh, can you talk about uh, that a little bit uh, more, Said? Yes, actually, uh, Nicole is right. There are many speculations, even among of the hardliners, that uh, the hardliner in Mashhad in Khorasan uh, started this round of uprising in order to undermine Hassan al-Rohani. But, you know, uh, even if you check the social media, there are some uh, messages before of the, uh, you know, the, the first day of uprising in Mashhad, that by the Basij, they encourage people to go and demonstrate against uh, poverty, against unemployment, against of inflation. I think this is, uh, this is right. But immediately when the uprising started, you know, they lost the control of the uprising. And then it became the uprising against not Hassan al-Rouhani and his administration, uh, it became the uh, protest against the entire clerical establishment. R uh, right now, you know, th that's a very interesting thing because uh, when it started to spread out throughout Iran, then the reformist hardliner both realized that these people at street, they are talking about passing reformist hardliner duality. They, uh, they chanted the slogan against both reformists, against both hardliner, against, you know, the, the, the Rouhani, against Ayatollah Khamenei. They realized that they are already past this reformist hardliner duality. So they both started to denounce 
the demonstration, even the reformists, you know, if you read and uh, studies all of the, the reformist uh, political figures, including the Muhammad Khatami, the president, you know, they are denouncing this round of the demonstration. They call them as, uh, you know, uh, as people who are supported by the enemies of Iran to go and undermine the security and the stability of the Islamic Republic. That is uh, shocking for many people that why reformists don't support uh, the, this round of the uprising. Interesting. Nicola, my uh, question for you is uh, both you and uh, Saeed have contrasted uh, the protest movement to the 2009 Green Revolution, uh, implying that this one is less organized than the 2009 revolution, and uh, that it started in the rural area and moved to the cities as opposed to vice versa. Uh, which kind of revolution should the regime, uh, or which kind of uprising should the regime be most concerned about? One like 2009 with a concentrated, well-organized leadership, or one that starts uh, at its base? Well, both are theoretically dangerous. Uh, uh, the difference with this one, in my opinion, is that uh, this started uh, from a general frustration. What I can perceive in Iran in this moment, that there is a, a diffuse frustration uh, with the government, uh, with, uh, with the institution in general, because of the what they call the failure of the JCPOA. And the JCPOA is the Iran nuclear deal. Yes, and uh, there were several expectations out of it. And, uh, you know, I think that if we ask most of the Iranians, which is their top priority for, for, for them in this moment, I think that uh, most of them will answer as uh, uh, employment. So increasing the capacity of the government to generate uh, numbers in terms of uh, employment. Uh, and uh, this is uh, something which was connected to the expectation they had out of the JCPOA. So there is a huge frustration out of it. The people is upset with the government, is upset with the foreign uh, uh, environment, with the U.S., uh, with, uh, with the ultra-radicals, because uh, all of them uh, bring some responsibility for, for this failure. The government is accused of not being able uh, to deliver what they promised. Uh, the, the opposition, the ultra-radicals, are accused of basically provoking the, the international environment uh, and not being able to, 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 to deliver from a political point of view. And on the other side, the international community, and especially the U.S., are accused of basically betraying the spirit of the JCPOA. Basically, what the Iranians are saying is uh, we have signed an agreement which was connected to the nuclear file, and uh, you are now trying to uh, to sabotage it, uh, talking about missiles and other issues which are not part of it. So this is the the, the, the general mood, I think, in the country. So uh, what could come out out of it, it's uh, unpredictable. You know, it's uh, what I can see is that, yes, there is a rage against the government, there is a rage against uh, the, the, the political system uh, per se, but it's not only the this. It's something which is wider, it's something which uh, could be canalized in other directions, and it's, uh, that's probably why also the, uh, the, the governmental authorities have been so scared in, in the space, because yes, it's headless, it's without uh, a leadership, so it's mm, probably weaker, but on the other side it's also uh, heavily unpredictable, something which is without leadership and, uh, and without uh, uh, structure, it's, uh, it's, mm, it's difficult to, to, to predict in the, in the 
the terms it will evolve. Uh, so it's it's also the, in this case, I think uh, it's something which is considered as a top priority by 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 the, by the government uh, in, in terms of uh, repression and security. So not uh, spreading the protest and not having those on the streets uh, uh, enlarging uh, the, in terms of number and in terms of issues they are requesting. I'd like to uh, move to the international reaction since you've raised it, but uh, one last uh, domestic-based uh, issue uh, that I'd like to explore with the two of you. Hardliners and relative moderates have been you know, fighting for the soul of the Islamic Republic for, for years. 2009, 2013, and 2018 now are all important uh, landmarks in that battle. Who's going to uh, gain some advantage as a result of these protests, the moderates or the hardliners? They both seem targeted. Uh, you know, before I answer this question, I want to actually go back to the last question from Nicole, and uh, he answered it very nicely. I think, you know, in Iran uh, society, there are a lot of fault lines, many active fault lines that uh, are shaking Iranian society and Iranian politics. Some of them are, you know, like traditional modernity. Some of them are like the, uh, income, you know, between the poor and middle class and upper class. Some of them are social cultural south line. And uh, because of this shaky uh, nature, uh, Iran will witness the same round of the, you know, uh, uprising and suppression for years if the Islamic Republic not to do anything about it. We saw it from 1979, the Islamic Republic when established, in the first decade, in the second decade, in the third decade, this cycle of uprising and suppression will continue. Which one is the worst? I think both for Islamic Republic or, you know, it's difficult to handle. When you have a leadership like 2009, if you put the leadership under the house arrest, you can control the movement much easily. But because there is a leadership and a structure, there are more massive people who participate. 2017 is the leaderless uh, uprising. So it's very difficult to contain it. There is nobody to put the, under the house arrest. As Nicole said, is more unpredictable what is going to happen in the next, and everybody can be a leader. But, uh, so I think both are actually tricky, and both undermine the Islamic Republic, most and foremost the, the legitimacy of the Islamic Republic. For your second question, I think it's an important, very important question to, uh, you know, who is the winner of this round of uprising? I think the first and foremost are the poor people, are Iranian youth, and the people who believe uh, that, you know, the, the people who uh, came to the street and raised their voice. After 2009, many believed that Iran was successfully controlled and suppressed any movement. Uh, youth came to the street and opposed Iran foreign policy, Iran internal policy, Iranian politician and Iranian political system. So they uh, chanted a slogan against all of these issues, against Iran foreign policy, involvement in Syria, Lebanon as the you know, supporting of the uh, Islamist group, uh, Iran internal policy, economically, politically, socially, Iran politician, both reformist and hardliner, and Iran political 
establishment. They talk about, you know, returning the monarchy. They talk about the clergies leave us alone. So the first loser of the Islamic Republic, the, the main winner, I think, are Iranian people that show that they are not silent. If they are silenced, it's mainly because of the social control. If there is less social and political control, they, are, they can come to the street. And they are, in many ways, they are, they are in opposition with the Islamic Republic uh, you know, policy, internally and externally. So for me, the Islamic Republic and both groups, uh, in, a, in, a, in a very uh, you know, sh uh, short term, they are losers, the people are the winners. But we have to think that how these hardliners and reformists can play or manipulate this round of the uprising in their own benefit. You know, one element of, uh, uh, one issue that I think uh, we have to consider is the succession of Iran's supreme leader. Ayatollah Khamenei is 78 years old, and he is in a poor uh, health. So there are a lot of speculation that the next year, maybe, uh, you know, it comes to the transition of Islamic Republic. This transition uh, will be another uh, event that can bring a lot of people to the street, that can undermine the Islamic Republic. And in my opinion, both hardliners and reformists try to use this protest in their own, uh, for own benefit. The hardliners try to show that, you know, people economically are suffering. All of the hardliners' attention is that, you know, the, the, the Rouhani neoliberal government is uh, undermining the poor people. Everybody is upset about the, uh, the poverty, about the, the economy, and all of these protests, uh, protester motivation is economic motivation. So they try to undermine the Rouhani. From other side, I think Rouhani try to use this protest to, to show that or to, to ma make a case that the people are very upset and everybody, even the people in the poor area, in the rural area, in the, the uh, small cities, are very upset of the Islamic Republic. They are ch chanting a slogan about the whole political establishment. And we have to more fundamental change. Which one will be more successful? Uh, to be honest, I don't know. So I think uh, Saeed has done a good job, uh, Nicola, of explaining that uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, turbulence in the Iranian political scene going forward. President Trump has said that President, former President Obama erred in not providing stronger support to the, uh, to the revolutionary movement in 2009 or to the, to the student uh, protests in 2009, and he says he's not going to, uh, to make that same mistake. Is it, was it a mistake, in your view, for President Obama not to provide greater support, and should President Trump do something different? Well, it's always extremely difficult uh, to to evaluate the capacity of uh, this kind of sustain. You know, these are seen as uh, uh, political interference, uh, which could provoke, uh, as uh, in terms of results, uh, stronger inter intervention of the security apparatus. And uh, so it's, uh, frankly speaking, uh, the less we intervene domestically, the most I think we are able to obtain uh, uh, positive results. 
that has least a, um, a, a vision from Europe. And uh, uh, what I fear, coming back also to what uh, Sayed said, I, I totally agree with him. There are several factors uh, which uh, are affecting uh, the security and stability for, for the near future. What I fear is that in this moment uh, there could be a combination of factors both in the U.S. and Iran in uh, looking at Rouhani as uh, uh, the one who could be sacrificed in the sense that uh, from the U.S. point of view Rouhani could be the one sacrificed in uh, demonstrating that uh, it's impossible to change Iran and to renew uh, the, its political leadership. From the other side, uh, it could be useful also domestically uh, to sacrifice Rouhani, from, uh, at least from the point of view of s certain radical forces, in order to demonstrate that no matter what, the control is always in the hands of the same groups and of the same structure. So this could be another factor that I could add to the picture and which I'm quite afraid in, in the sense that uh, it's, uh, it's something which could provoke uh, a series of additional uh, consequences uh, which are, in my opinion, extremely dangerous for the near future. So we are in a very fluid moment in, uh, in this phase, and uh, it's clear that uh, the, the paralysis provoked by the, the, the JCPOA, it's uh, the, 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 the element which uh, it, it's provoking most of this. It's, uh, so it's, uh, it, it depends on what the U.S. from one side and the international community on the other are willing to achieve with Iran, which is the goal. This is something which is not clear, frankly speaking, among the, the, the community of the analysts, which is the goal, engaging Iran or promoting regime change. This is something which uh, has to be defined in terms of strategy. If you were able to provide uh, some advice to President Trump, would you tell him to uh, keep going and keep uh, showing that support for the, uh, for the uh, revolt or step back? Well, uh, we are not talking about uh, a single revolt. We are talking about something which is more complex. And, you know, this is a domestic issue. Frankly speaking, I don't think that any foreign intervention uh, will will be seen even among the protesters uh, as uh, a positive uh, action it's uh, it could be seen as something which is able to demolish either their own credibility or their own grievances uh, so they would be immediately seen as those who are supported by foreign powers or those who are uh, provoking seditions uh, because of foreign interests so i don't think that there will be any concrete result out of it out of this kind of support Let's uh, pivot a little bit, Nicola. The European uh, economies, uh, France, Germany, Italy, UK, have been the uh, primary actors to move in and fill in the economic space after the GCPOA was implemented, uh, uh, getting ready to uh, invest heavily in the Iranian economy. If not yet, they're moving in that direction. That might provide them a little bit of extra leverage over the Iranian regime. Why don't they use that leverage? Well, despite the huge amount of MOUs, memorandum of understanding, which have been signed by the Europeans after the the signature of the JCPOA, uh, the reality is that uh, the vast majority of these MOUs is still not producing any effect. And uh, it's not producing any concrete effect because uh, the, the most important element of the European banking systems, so... <laughs> The, the, the most important European banks are not working with Iran because uh, they are afraid that 
working with Iran uh, could provoke uh, a consequence on their uh, interests and assets in the U.S. There is a, a certain degree of ambiguity in this. Uh, the, the, the U.S. Treasury, it's from one side giving them uh, reassurance uh, on the fact that they can work with Iran, but on the other side, they are putting them on a sort of alert, saying, be aware that there are red lines that, if crossed, uh, could provoke major consequences for your interest in the U.S. So the vast majority of the European banks uh, is not supporting the JCPOA at all, and only few smaller banks uh, with uh, limited capacity in sustaining uh, the, the, the financement required by the, the, this amount of agreements which have been signed uh, are working in the country. So we are still uh, in a in a phase where, yes, there are a lot of good intentions, so there are a lot of contracts which are potentially uh, ready to be started with, with Iran, but no one is really working with, uh, with, with Iran in this moment. Uh, in, uh, only small companies and uh, small things have been transformed uh, into uh, concrete uh, agreement and concrete contracts. I, I, I disagree with Nicole in a small piece. You know, in 2009, the Obama administration didn't get involved in 2009. And still, uh, you know, the Iranian uh, regime accused Obama, America, and the West for undermining his uh, government, undermining the Iranian government, accused them that all oh, they are involved in the Green Movement. Right now, you know, no matter if the U.S. and European Union is doing, the Islamic Republic narrative is, this is, uh, uh, you know, the uprising started by the U.S., Israel, Saudi Arabia, and outsiders or enemies, and they're going to use this narrative to convince uh, the Iranian population and justify it for suppressing the, uh, the, the protests. So my point is uh, the, the U.S. and the European Union shouldn't uh, uh, get involved or not get involved uh, because how the Islamic Republic will see uh, and will react. They are, whatever you are doing, they, are doing, you know, they will uh, accuse you. Uh, the second point that I want to uh, make sure that, especially the European Union, the U.S. doesn't have too much leverage, and I'm concerned about the people who have been arrested, more than, more than 1,000 people uh, by yesterday, actually, according to the official uh, statistics, have been arrested. And if you remember 2009, we know that, you know, the, the, the violation of human rights is a serious, uh, you know, uh, in, in Iran. So I really uh, uh, hope that the European Union can put more pressure on Rouhani and his government to respect their human rights and especially try to reach out to these people who, will, who have been arrested uh, since a few days ago. And that, I think, Although, as Nicole said, you know, many of the European banks are not uh, getting involved with the war, still European Union has more leverages. Personally, you know, the politicians, you know, the, uh, even the small businesses uh, on the Iranian government and the Islamic Republic to at least, you know, uh, not to violate the human rights, not to suppress the people brutally. 
think about the people who are in jail. That, that's my concern, really. I, I... Great. I think uh, I think that you've set up uh, some contrasting positions. I'd like to maybe finish with just one last question for each of you. I'll let Nicole answer first. Uh, why should people in Chicago and Rome care about what's happening right now in Iran? How does it matter to them? Well, Iran is uh, one of the most uh, powerful and uh, interesting actors of the region in this moment. And it's, uh, uh, in a way or the other, uh, was at least until the, the last week, one of the most stable. Uh, instability insta- inside Iran uh, and uh, instability provoked by domestic instability inside Iran in the region is one of the effects that we have to consider. Uh, in a way or the other, Iran is playing a major role in the region, and uh, this is something also which is having an impact at, uh, at the social level in Iran. It's, uh, it's quite diffuse, this uh, idea that uh, inside the country that, yes, we are winning uh, all the, the battles on the ground, but we are unable to to produce stability. Well, in and, fact, Nicola, uh, let me, let me, uh, let me, yeah. sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but let me follow up on that. That's actually a very, very good point that we should have uh, discussed earlier. A lot of the protesters were saying, they were complaining about Iranian support for Hezbollah, their activities, their foreign policy in Syria, Yemen, and elsewhere, saying that they're not doing enough for the Iranian people while they're out worrying about others. Is it possible that this, uh, this movement uh, or this action these events might uh, might make Iranian foreign policy a little bit more modest in the long run? Well, probably yes, also because I think it's not sustainable in the long run economically. Uh, this is a, <coughs> sorry, a debate which uh, is not new in, uh, in the Iranian society, in the Iranian institutions. It's part of, uh, of um, a set of divergences which has already emerged in the past. I think starting from 2006, from uh, the, the, the war with, uh, between Hezbollah and, uh, and Israel in Lebanon. So uh, how much Iran is spending with the proxies and uh, which is the result they're getting out of it. Uh, the problem is, what I can see is that Iran is uh, in a position where it's difficult uh, to reduce, at least in this moment, this commitment. Uh, there are concrete fears that there are, looking from an Iranian domestic point of view, I think that there are concrete fears that there is uh, uh, a plan outside to hit Iran in uh, several different uh, corners of the region. And so the vision from Tehran is that of defending at all costs in all these corners in order not to allow the U.S., Israel, Saudi Arabia, and uh, all those who are perceived as enemies, uh, existential or not, uh, to, 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 to hit Iran and, and its interest. But doing this, Iran is enlarging too much his sphere of influence, his, uh, the, 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 let's say, his sphere of action in the region from uh, not only with uh, Hezbollah with mm-hmm. in uh, Lebanon, but also in Syria, in, uh, in Iraq, in Yemen, where I think it's not that much, but where there is, of course, an engagement. So it's probably something which is not affordable in the long run, not affordable politically, not affordable socially, and not affordable, first of all, economically. Said, what do you think about that? Will, will this have an impact on uh, uh, Iran's foreign policy? I hope Nicole is wrong, honestly. I hope because we know that Iran is actually is involved in many uh, countries in the Middle East, and because of that, 
So the problem with this argument is, in 2009, Iranian chanted the same slogan, just think about Iran, or my life goes to Iran. In 2009, the sanctions started, and the people economically suffered, so they uh, talk about uh, stopping the more aggressive foreign policy. Uh, if you look at the 2009 to 2017, you will realize that the Iran expanded its foreign policy, more aggressive foreign policy. The 2009 to 2017 shows us that the Iranian or the political establishment really doesn't think or doesn't look at the event uh, as we are thinking about that. Is it going to change our foreign policy? I hope so. So I hope uh, 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 I hope Nicole is right in this case. Well, what I think you both agree on is that. Uh there's possible changes on the horizon, certainly uh, more instability in the uh, Iranian political scene. I'd like to thank both you, Saeed and Nicola, for joining us to, on discussing the ongoing situation in Iran. And thank you for turning in to this episode of Deep Dish on Global Affairs. As a reminder, the opinions you heard today are those of the people who expressed them and not the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. If you like the show, please subscribe or send the episode to someone you know who might like it. You can find our show under Deep Dish on Global Affairs wherever you listen to podcasts. Deep Dish is produced by Evan Fazio. I'm Stephen Anderson filling in for Brian Hansen. We'll be back soon with another slice of Deep Dish. I want to share with all our listeners that we've launched a Facebook group. You can find us on Facebook under Deep Dish on Global Affairs. This is a public group, so please join in. We'll post new episodes and relevant articles, but it also can be a place for you to ask questions, give feedback, and suggest guests and topics to us. So please check us out, Facebook group, Deep Dish on Global Affairs.